the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. Crosswalk (laughs) with yours truly, Gino Geraci. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. What kind of a program is it? Well, it's a program where we talk about things above. We talk about heavenly things. We talk about eternal things. We talk also about temporal things. In what way? Well, we've talked, we will talk about the past, which is history. We will talk about the present, which includes current events. But I like to talk about, well, the Bible, about the historical Jesus, about worldviews and world religions, what people really believe. I like to talk about what's real, what's true, what's eternal. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. We've got a couple of interesting headlines in the news at ChristianHeadlines.com. But we also have um, news that's being reported in the popular media, including the New York Attorney General, who's trying to seize Trump's properties if he refuses to pay his $355 million fine um, days after the ruling, the judge Arthur N. Gorin ordered the former president to pay $355 million in his civil fraud case. But it's hard to determine who exactly got defrauded. But um, all of that's interesting also illinois wants to change the definition of an abused child to include parents who refuse to affirm their gender of choice i talked about that yesterday and um also i wanted to talk about just very briefly um the the current president's um decision to cancel billion in student debt. That's going to affect about 153,000 borrowers. Now, no matter where you land on the issue and whether or not you're going to be a beneficiary um, of this $1.2 billion debt relief, it is very, very interesting Um, a couple of things. If it's going to reduce or eliminate debt for 153,000 borrowers, how many of those borrowers do you think are going to vote for the current president simply because he canceled their debt? That's an interesting question. The other thing is what will be both the intended and the unintended consequences. Several, several experts are suggesting 
that this is only going to increase tuition. According to the National Review, his uh, President Joe Biden's administration is set to forgive the debt. And um, again, the White House announced Wednesday its latest debt forgiveness plan will benefit people in, enrolled in the Saving on the Valuable Education. That's S-A-V-E, repayment program for borrowers who have been repaying student debt for at least 10 years and took out $12,000 or less in student debt. The S-A-V-E plan is an initiative that was launched by the White House in August to expand income-based student debt repayment options on an estimated cost of $475 billion over 10 years. Um, CNBC it says after the Supreme Court blocked Biden's sweeping student loan forgiveness plan last June, his administration has explored all of its existing authority to leave people with less education debt. So all of that interesting stuff. Um, 303-873-1935 is my number if you'd like to join me on the program. Another um, event that took place is the United Nations um, attempt to um, draft a proposal for Israel to refrain uh, from going into Rafah, which is the, the southernmost part of the Gaza Strip, where Palestinians have been um, sheltering in place, if you will, throughout the war. So basically, the great big question is how, so again, 13 countries voted for the ceasefire. One country vetoed it, and that would be the United States of America. Now, again, is it a good idea or a bad idea? How should Christians react as America vetoes the ceasefire? Now, Alicia Searle, who's a contributing editor for the ChristianHeadlines.com, has updated her article on this particular subject. She writes that the war in Israel has taken another swift turn as the United States vetoed the Algerian resolution at the United Nations calling for an immediate ceasefire. Um, this has been an ongoing, internationally growing concern ever since the Israel-Hamas war began on October 7th. Now, again, a couple of things. This is a war. The big question becomes, does Israel have a right to prosecute the war and then win the war, there are those who would argue that Israel has the right to prosecute the war and even win the war, but are there any prohibitions, restrictions, governors? Um, and now for the third time since the war began, the United States administration has vetoed a ceasefire and is drafting and proposing a new resolution that concerns hostage negotiations, according to the Washington Post. So in this article, they write, while Israel has every right to defend and protect itself, this proposed draft is calling for Israel not to push ahead 
and refrain from going into Rafah, where many Palestinians are misplaced, sheltering due to the war. And it says now the United States administration is receiving a lot of backlash for the veto. He's being widely criticized for putting Palestinian civil uh, civilian lives at risk. And the way that I would answer that, the way I would respond to the critic who says that this veto is putting Palestinian civilian lives at risk, no, the, the, the one who put the civilian lives at risk is Hamas. Hamas are the bad actors. And so, again, we have to ask several different hard questions about whether or not Israel has a right to wage this war and prosecute, if you want to use that term, this war, win the war. I've repeatedly said the best strategy for Israel to win the war or to end the war is to win the war. And so it looks like, in spite of all kinds of international pressure, Israel is not, I repeat, is not going to cease and desist until they have achieved their goal, victory over Hamas. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I was also talking about a couple of other um, articles that have come out at ChristianHeadlines.com. One by Michael Faust, who is, of course, a ChristianHeadlines.com contributor, um, the headline that he has is God and Country Film is a hit piece against conservative Christians, according to reviewers. And I think that that's right. A new documentary, he writes, claims to be a film opposing Christian nationalism. Now, again, Christian nationalism, as I've repeatedly said, is the new dog whistle that if a person embraces, dare I use the word, a biblical view on certain topics, they're labeled Christian nationalists. And according to God and Country, which is released this month, it says, according to them, they take a closer look at the dangerous implications of Christian nationalism and explores how a base of Christians has radically stoked a movement to erase the line between church and state, that according to its website. And Rob Reiner is the producer. Now, Rob Reiner, I think, has a very specific bias against historical biblical Christianity and conservative um, Christianity specifically. 
and Andrew T. Walker, who's the managing editor of World Opinions and an associate professor of Christian ethics at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says the film has missed the mark. He says, quote, it's a biased vilification of conservative Christians that is little more than an exercise in fanning progressive wrath. He wrote in a new column, quote, admittedly the documentary landed a few good punches in its criticisms. Did it rightly call out a lot of cringe and horrible theology done to defend Trump? Yes. Some of the precepts or precincts in conservative evangelicalism deserve scathing criticism for sycophantically excusing or defending Donald Trump's many flaws. But one need not be a theological or political liberal to make that criticism. And then the film, according to Andrew T. Walker, smears social conservatism. He says, do you oppose abortion? If so, that's a marker of Christian nationalism, Walker wrote. Do you oppose LGBTQ ideology? Um, Well, that's a marker of Christian nationalism. Do you oppose critical race theory? If so, that's a marker of Christian nationalism. And it says the film ended with an extended discourse on abortion, according to Walker. He says, of course, it also ended with a reference to the least of these in Matthew 25, but apparently with no regard to asking whether the unborn qualify as the least of these. The documentary is as intellectually serious as that argument. So imagine, are you, um, well, a Christian nationalist? If you are biblically, theologically, ideologically opposed to abortion, to the painful killing of unborn children, are you a Christian nationalist? If you oppose LGBTQ plus and then list whatever alphabet you have after that ideology, Or imagine you take exception with the growing ideological social justice movement. Now, remember, remember, in this ideological social justice or wokeism, if you oppose critical race theory, and I do oppose critical race theory, Well, is critical race theory a political, ideological marker, or does it have religious implications? And I'm going to suggest to you that it does have religious implications. And the reason why it has religious implications is because it has a view about how a person is saved and what our moral duty is and how do we know what's true and what has ultimate authority and is there a future and a final judgment. 
And so if you ask and you answer the question, well, does the biblical worldview support an, a constitutional republic as it now exists in the United States? So we've got a couple of different things that we're, we're asking and answering. Should the ideology of ideological social justice inform political processes or a biblical worldview? And does a biblical worldview play some kind of role in the way we conduct ourselves and get along with each other amongst ourselves? And so the reason why all of this becomes really, really important is what John Brown points out in the Christian Post. He said the movie is, quote, a partisan broadside that deceptively conflates so-called Christian nationalism with positions held by a large swath of conservative Christians, unquote. He writes, by stringing together disjointed, out-of-context clips that lump together John MacArthur, Billy Graham, with obvious charlatans and screeching fringe preachers, the filmmakers reveal either their profound ignorance or their cynical desire to assign the pejorative Christian nationalist label as widely as possible. Unquote. He writes, the clear takeaway is that for many on the left, Christian nationalism is simply any form of Christianity that seeks political representation without first bowing the knee to their progressive orthodoxy. So Brown continues and says, quote, Many factions vie for the place in the rough and tumble of the public square. But conservative Christians seem to be the only ones expected to give up the battle, even by those within their own ranks. Now, this is interesting, interesting to me because of my conversation earlier this week with my friend Bill Federer. And again, the uh, research and writing that's been done by George Barna. The deep divide in the United States of America. And George Barna's shocking statement, he said, he said, I believe Americans have lost the capacity to develop a united perspective on who America is and how we will move forward together. Imagine if you believe America has something to do with truth, intelligibility, the correspondence theory of truth that reality conforms to belief. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. 
The number is 303-873-1935. Sorry, Doug. I I, want to answer your question, by the way, uh, about who's going to reign as king during the millennium. And the the quick answer is the, the resurrected, returned Jesus will rule as king during the millennium along what seems to be with his father, David, a glorified David. So... 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Dwayne, welcome to the program. Hey, Jen, how are you doing? Doing good. Good. So I actually have a prayer request to share. Um, okay. uh, about two and a half months ago, I had puppies. Um, it wasn't planned, uh, and they're purebred labs. And we've pr- been praying and asking the, God to lead and guide and open up opportunities to share them with people and homes where they're just going to go to homes that, that they'll be loved and embraced as part of the family. Uh, and God stretching me and my wife on this, on trusting and wait on him, because we had a litter of nine, and the first one left on uh, Monday, and that's it. And we've had, like, it's been like crickets. We've, we're not wow. getting really anything. So uh, there are purebred labs. You know, we have papers on everything, but it's really hard. And I've actually gotten sick by taking care of them. I mean, I've got an appointment with the VA on Friday to get checked out, but my lungs have been bothering me. And I've been sleeping with the puppies the whole time, and next to them, I actually sleep with them in the kitchen all night long. Um, wow. But just smelling their, their urine, I actually did a little search, and smelling urine for a long period of time can make you sick physically, and I, I've gotten sick. So we definitely need uh, some the Lord to move, and we, we're praying and wait on his timing, but I just want to share that request with the prayer request with the body and put it out there because uh, it's been hard on me and the wife physically. Uh, on average, because we clean the kitchen every day, uh, we're not breeders, so this has just happened. Uh, and uh, we clean the kitchen every day. On average, I go to bed about one thirty to 2.30 in the morning, and it's been that way for two months. Unfortunately, um, wow. I don't work a job right now. I'm only working part-time. But I actually took a leave from my job because of this. But just wanted to share it with you and share it with the body and just ask for prayers and uh, praying okay. for homeless for the puppies. Well, we're happy to pray about that. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, just a couple of quick questions. Is it chocolate lab, black lab? Uh, we, we have one brown. Uh, they're all boys. It was kind of crazy how God did it. Uh, there was one girl and eight boys out of the, out of the nine litter. So there, there are yellows. We have a lot of yellows and some, some more whitish yellow ones, and then one brown boy. So, uh, yeah, so that's what we're, we're looking to try and uh, find them homes. And they've been loved and, and handled, and, and we, we definitely believe their answer to prayer and their blessings from the Lord. So we just want them to go to good homes. So if people are interested in maybe uh... – being that home, how would you suggest people get in touch with you? I can leave my contact information with you all. Um, I, we don't have anything. Uh, we did do. Uh, we do have an advertisement on PuppyFinder.com. That's actually oh, okay. one, one of our dogs was on PuppyFinder.com, so we put an ad on there. Um, but other than that, it's just been word of mouth, and we've we've put some ads out here and there. We got a little flyer. Actually, I titled uh, "Aurora's Most Wanted," and we have snapshots of all the puppies on there wow. and stuff. So. So we're, we're, we're doing everything we can, but I also felt like, too, the Lord convicted me yesterday. Um, the Lord convicted me yesterday of trying to force it. Like, I went to get my allergy shot, and I hadn't got it for, in two months. And I was talking to some people at the elevator, and I felt like God said, now you're doing it on your own. <laughs> now you're trying, now well, you're trying to force it. Let's let's pray. And you know what? I'll, before we hang up, though, um, and before you have him hang up, um, 
Jimbo, he can just leave his phone number with you and if, see if we get some response. But let me pray for you. Heavenly okay, Father, you. I, I do pray, Lord, uh, according to your will and purpose and plan. Lord, first, we obviously pray for Dwayne's health and for his circumstances. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch his body, that you would heal his body. Lord, that you would restore him to wholeness and wellness and strengthen him for the task at hand. And Lord, again, as he goes to the doctor, we pray for that wisdom, not just wisdom, medical wisdom, but wisdom from above. Lord, we know that you've gifted men and women um, with uh, great knowledge and great skills of the human condition, and we're grateful for each and every um, doctor and nurse who um, genuinely takes their oath seriously of of bringing health and wholeness and wellness to human beings. Lord, we pray again that you'll find the exact right home for these puppies and that it will be a place where people will uh, rejoice. Um, They'll experience some companionship and friendship. Lord, I know that there are people who love, love, love their pets. And so, Lord, and I know there are pet lovers who are listening right at this very moment. Some of them have experienced the loss uh, of, uh, of a pet recently. And so, Lord, I pray that they would join with me in prayer and, and, uh, and pray that the exact right families are going to show up at exactly the right time and that each and every puppy is going to find a home that's suitable for that puppy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And also, too, Gino, if anybody wants to just come and hang out and play with some puppies and doesn't want one, that's okay, too. We've actually been hosting some families to do that who just wanted to come play with some puppies. Yeah, that's interesting because I heard of uh, a person was telling me that their husband is a uh, a baby cuddler. He literally goes to children's hospital and um, comforts newborns. I mean, in, in oh, other words, awesome. yeah, it is awesome. This is a guy who... Is, is, is my understanding is correctly former military, maybe even special forces. So this is this is a guy who's not just a guy; he's a, a special forces, full on recon type guy who goes and visits uh, children's hospitals for the purpose of loving on children. Yeah, so I'm sure that there must be puppy lovers out there. And so uh, before you, you, we, when, when we, we put him on hold and get his number and see if we get some um, response, okay? Okay, and I can leave my number on the air, too, if you're okay. I don't mind doing that. Either uh, way uh, that's up to you. I mean, if you want that, um, yeah, let's, yeah, our producer says no, no, no. And so okay. I'm, I'm, we're going to put you on hold. He's going to take your number, and we will try to as um, graciously as possible, make sure that no weirdos are steered in your direction. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. God bless. Take care, Dino. Thank you for your time. Hey, hey, God bless you. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. You know, um, I have had the privilege of knowing... um, Many people who love, love, love their pets. And I I know it's almost 
cliche to talk about, you know, people ask me about, will their pets go to heaven? And one of my favorite things is, well, what does the Bible say about pets? And as you can imagine, um, I, I was reading a story not too long ago of cats that were being utilized by the Israeli Defense Force to stimulate morale. And in Western society, pets have never been more popular, and lots of homes are graced with the presence of a cat or a dog or a hamster or a turtle or a goldfish or a chinchilla or a newt or a parakeet or a gecko. And I remember one of my very first pets as a very young boy was a turtle. Yeah, people in pet shops used to sell turtles, and I, th- I thought that they were fascinating creatures. But people have albino pythons to hissing cockroaches, and uh, the Bible doesn't actually address the issue of keeping pets. But I think that there's some principles that we might be able to glean from a couple of passages of Scripture. I might actually talk about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, happy to take your call. 303-873-1935. Apologies to the earlier caller, Doug. And uh, I, I wish I could get more information, but I'll try and answer your question when we come back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Lucy, welcome to the program. No, Lucy, come back. <laughs> well, Lucy was asking the question, where does it say in the Bible about where we go when we die? And Lucy, if you're still listening, I'll just give you uh, a couple of little hints and clues. And part of the answer to your question is it depends. It depends on who we are and whether or not we have a relationship with Christ. Now, according to the Bible, For people who know and love the Lord Jesus, who have a right relationship with God in Christ, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, he says, So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, that means alive, in this physical body in which we have, we are away from the Lord For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, Paul doesn't just hint. He basically says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, Paul writes in Philippians 1, 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, why would it be gain? He says, but if I live in the flesh, that means in the body, in this world, this will mean fruit from my labor. 
Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul, in those two places, tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And of course, in John 14, um, Jesus says in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. So heaven is a place. He says, but it's also a person to receive you to myself. And so there we have Paul once again talking about whatever, wherever it is that we go, we go to be with Jesus. Now let's just think about that for just a moment. If Jesus is in heaven, then that's where we're going to be. If Jesus comes back to the earth, then that's where we're going to be. If Jesus is in the eternal state, that's where we're going to be. So I hope that helps. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. You know, there's a, a false teaching that's embraced by certain groups called soul sleep. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists were um, people who advocate for what has been called soul sleep. Soul sleep is the idea that, or the belief that after a person dies, his or her soul sleeps until the resurrection or the final judgment. But I've already given two passages of Scripture which seem to indicate that that's not the case. The concept of soul sleep isn't a biblical concept, even though the Bible uses the metaphor of sleeping in relationship to death. It's a tender way of speaking about death when our loved ones die. So in Luke, for instance, Luke chapter 8, verse 52, where it says, And all were weeping and mourning for her, but said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. In 1 Corinthians fifteen six, Paul says, Then he appeared, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Again, a tender, idiomatic, euphemistic expression that you have died. So it doesn't mean a literal sleep. Sleeping is a way to describe death because the dead body looks like it's asleep. So the moment we die, we face the judgment of God. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And I'm sorry that to answer your question, even though you're not on, but if you would like to come back, um, you can call 303-873-1935. So let me just say this about Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, And just as it is appointed for a human being or for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So to your question, 
what happens when you die? Well, you face judgment. Is there a place where you go? I think so. This is a place where you are evaluated, if you will. But again, in that evaluation, it depends on whether or not you have a right relationship with God or in Christ, or whether you don't have a right relationship with God in Christ. So for believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, like I said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. For unbelievers, and this is a real problem, for the unbeliever, death means everlasting punishment in hell. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus speaks about Lazarus and the rich man. And he talks about the death of Lazarus. And he said the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, Hades is that place of the of depending on the context of the dead the context tells us whether it's the righteous dead or the unrighteous dead but Jesus says and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side so until the final resurrection there's a what you might call a temporary place of the righteous that was called paradise. And then there is a temporary place for the unrighteous. And that is seen in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So neither in paradise nor in Hades are people sleeping. It could be said that the body is sleeping but the soul seems to be very much aware of where it is and and what its adjudication is. So apparently, I'm going to use the term, the dead in Christ go to the place of the righteous dead. The dead who are apart from Christ go to the place of the unrighteous dead. And at the resurrection, the body is awakened, transformed into an everlasting body that the person will possess forever, whether in the place of the righteous dead or in the place of the unrighteous dead. Hey, I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.